good to be here, John. And I'm, I'm so excited to hear the thoughts from Colonel Phil Waldron about this unrestricted, unconventional warfare that's unfolding right now, because that's really the theme for my segment today, only I'm, I'm giving it a little bit of a different name. I'm calling it plausible deniability warfare. And this is a, a phrase mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm coining today. And I think it's going to start to make sense as I start to illustrate this kind of technique that both the good guys and the bad guys are using right now. And we, we refer to these ambiguous groups like the deep state and the white hats because there are just so many different actors on the world stage. There are state actors, there are intelligence agencies, there's institutions like the media, and they're all at war with each other and they're all coordinating with each other. So it's an interesting and historic time to be alive. It's, it's not the warfare from World War II. That's, it's, it's a different game now. Oh, without question. Well said. Well, let's get into this plausible deniability and uh, start connecting the dots for us. Sounds, sounds very interesting. Sure. Yeah. You know, the definition of plausible deniability is just the ability to deny that you're involved in an activity because there's no clear evidence to prove that you're involved. And so, of course, we all know that there's secretive and covert warfare going on around the world. Uh, but it's not always with people with uniforms. And I'm going to suggest to the audience today that many of the news events, the people just gloss over and they just think that it's nothing. It's actually an operation. It's a uh, plausible, plausibly deniable um, covert operation. And so uh, a good example of this as far as psychological operation would be QAnon. I mean, this seems to be a positive operation from the White Hats or the good actors, but they officially deny that they're involved while they give plenty of hints that they are actually involved. So if we'll just take a look on the screen uh, about how Mike Pence claimed that he'd never even heard of QAnon. I mean, this is by the time that, uh, you know, there had already been millions of QAnon supporters and the mainstream media had been doing hit piece after hit piece in all of the biggest newspapers like the Washington Post and the New York Times. And yet Mike Pence never read any of those articles. He never heard of QAnon from any of the millions of supporters of his administration. So that's an interesting thing that he just, it's, it's an easy thing to just deny, like, oh, never even heard of it. Um, and, and Trump did the same thing. Let's take a look at the, the next thing on the screen, which would be the Guardian article where Trump says, you know, he doesn't know much about QAnon. He's, he's heard of it, but he doesn't really know anything about it. Uh, it's just the line that he kept on saying over and over again. And then the media, they got really frustrated with that. They're like, what do you mean you don't know much about it? We've been reporting on it nonstop. How could you not know anything about it? He's like, well, I've got better, bigger things on my plate than to worry about these conspiracy theories. And so, you know, that's just a good example of how um, you can just deny it. It's a plausible deniability. And that was kind of the whole point of the Q operation, uh, that um, they could share uh, intelligence that was, you know, supposedly insider information, but they could do it in a way which wouldn't break the uh, security laws. So so that's, that's a psychological operation. But I'm going to talk about how this actually gets kinetic. You know, this is, ends up being real warfare, but it just doesn't look like real warfare. Welcome back, Sean. Hey, stay away from that 17th letter. I don't want you to disappear on us again. But thanks for being <laughs> here, Sean. Say hello to Colonel Phil Waldron. 
Yes, thank you, Colonel. It's uh, great to meet you. I was I did have a question for you. Uh, I know that you have technical expertise and and you have a lot of uh, knowledge about the election fraud and the the technical aspects of it. And I think for for the average American, it's hard to separate the signal from the noise. You know, we've heard that Italy was involved, that Venezuela was involved, that China was involved, but we don't have any like really centralized place resource that we can go to get the evidence. So I was wondering if you had any additional resources that you, maybe you didn't mention on today's show uh, that you might want to recommend to, to people to look at. We don't. Um, another initiative that uh, the Governor Abbott has, has entertained, I uh, had a meeting with him uh, a couple Thursdays ago, I'm not sure what day it is, uh, uh, about creating uh, outside of the, the federal government, outside of the EAC and outside of the federally approved uh, voting laboratories, an election integrity center of excellence. Um, a nonpartisan, academically focused uh, and, and reviewed effort to be a repository, uh, a resource for other states to get testing, to get training, to understand background, to understand history, to do uh, you know vetted uh, financial um, financial record research. So that's a, a big effort that uh, I'm I'm working with a couple of representatives here in Texas, and, and along with uh, Governor Abbott, his staff, and Lieutenant Governor and his staff uh, to get established. Uh, it's really um, such a big uh, project for even a small team, we're, we're in the, the execution trap. We're caught and I'm woefully inadequately trying to work with up to a dozen states right now to help in various phases of, uh, of uh, election audits and recommendations for their, their legislative sessions. How, how can they make better choices? How can they make better local election law? And we're, we're just, uh, we're overrun. Um, and it, it's, it's a great feeling that folks are trying to reach out. Um, Louisiana right now, we're, we're working with uh, uh, the Secretary of State, Ardwan, and uh, several of the senators have been reaching out back and forth with uh, some other citizens groups and trying to save expending money. There, there are options that we have by, uh, like Mark Fincham um, mentioned, a, a serialized paper ballot with a blockchain system like votes, the VOATC system, um, that basically provide a, a bifurcated uh, system, paper ballot system, as well as a, a blockchain verified uh, transactional data um, that costs instead of you know a hundred, I think they're they're going to spend a hundred million dollars on electronic voting systems. They could spend less than ten million dollars, get a doubly secure process. And I, I explain it like this. I said, in your wallet or your money clip, you've got tens, twenties, ones, fives, you know, some of you big spenders, you know, you give us some fifties and hundreds in there, but every one of those ser are serialized and they've got anti-counterfeit measures in place in there by treasury department. And every time they go through a bank, they're scanned. So the treasury department knows where the twenties, the 20 that's in your pocket, as soon as you spend it, when it gets to a bank, they're going to know where it is and they're going to track it. The same concept, can work in paper ballots, precinct level voting. You, you print the ballots up, you put anti-counterfeiting measures in and you have serialized numbers. They're not directly numerically serialized, but at the end of the day, the voting, the precinct judge says, I had 10,000 people vote. I had a total of 13,000 ballots. I had a thousand spoil ballots and 500 absentee ballots. Here's my votes. Here's my spoil ballots. 
here's my blank ballots that didn't turn in. It's just like balancing a checkbook. They know 100% there are no other ballots and they, they're checking the, the, the anti-counterfeit measures. And so it's simple. It's not hard. The reason it's hard is because politicians want to take advantage of a system that was made for, uh, for, for being rigged. And I'm, you know, I, I am conservative. I'm a constitutionalist. But if there's a crooked Republican or a crooked Democrat, they ought to swing from the same tree. Uh, I don't I don't uh, I don't like crooked politicians at all. And if you benefited from cheating on on election, you're violating my civil rights and the civil rights of everyone else in the, in the voting population. And that's not acceptable. So we have the tools, we have the solutions, we just need to implement them. Um, I'm curious about the the problem that you mentioned of these basically terror cells. Uh, of the the cartels working infiltrating into the United States, and it seems like these democratic-run cities with the sanctuary city status is a, is a kind of a way of coordinating with them because it gives them cover. Do you have any any thoughts or solutions related to that? Uh, again, we've got to control the borders and have a, a, a you know a deportation program. There is a path to citizenship. There is a, a legal path to citizenship. There, the term illegal alien means something. I'm sorry, it may not be politically correct for somebody, but if you go outside of the legal process, you are illegal, you are extra legal. If you go through the legal process, like I know tons of folks who have done that. They have you know, they had a long journey, a lot of work, a, a lot of paperwork, a lot of waiting. You know, waiting on our, our highly efficient bureaucratic systems to uh, to actually work in the courts. And so if if you are committed and you want to assimilate to be an American, just like Teddy Roosevelt said, that to me is the solution. It's not it's it's not new. It doesn't have to be new. It's it's an old idea, but it's still relevant. So, yes, if you're not a, a U.S. citizen, you got to have some type of a documentation. You got to have some type of, um, you know, registration that you're here for this amount of time. Yes. If there's, if there are workers needed, have a work visa program, give them, you've got an ID. This is an ID that gives you these limited privileges of residing here in the U S but a, a non-citizen. And, uh, we've got to, we got to separate that that distinction of being an American citizen. I'm, I'm very, very proud to be an American citizen. People all over the world want to migrate to America to become American citizens. So it's highly desirous. And so, it, yeah, anything worth getting is, is worth effort. So do it the right way. Do it the legal way and not the extra legal way or the illegal way. And if you're illegal, then you either rectify it or you get sent back to your country. Amazing guest, and I really hope you come back on the show uh, because the world's going to change, I believe, in the next several months. Uh, and I'd love to have you weigh in on the circumstances we find ourselves in at that time. Uh, would you be open to to uh, to an invitation? Happy to. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You bet. And a couple of things as we close out. Um, are you doing any public speaking? Uh, how can people follow you online and how can people attend places that you might be speaking at? So I spent the greater part of my uh, adult life, the last 
a part of my military career being invisible. Uh, so uh, I don't have a website. Uh, I think I think there's an old Facebook page and, and some LinkedIn stuff, but I really don't ever uh, use it or check in on it. Um, you know, uh, I'll try to get better at that, but I, I don't. Uh, that, that's not one of my. Uh, I don't really care what are you, people. Are you open? Things that drive me. Are you open? Are you open to invitations uh, once you have all the information to speak at public events? And the reason I ask is um, there's an organization here in Florida, in Sarasota, that is holding, I think, its sixth or seventh annual uh, conference. And this year it's expected to fill a 2,000-seat <coughs> arena. And I've been asked to help uh, organize that and, and to be a media partner Um this might be in October, but would we be able to reach out to you and at least extend the invitation to, for you to be on the panel of speakers? Sure, I'll, I'll try to juggle it in. Um, you know, for me, it's mission first. So if I'm mm -hmm. if I can work with a group of senators or work with, uh, you know, a legislator or, or a group of folks doing an audit somewhere, um, mission goes first. Um, I, I try to do is, is to get the word out to, to people as often as I can. And uh, I, I will definitely still try to do that, but uh, I got to get the work done first. Thank you. Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm at the tail end of a cough. People say, oh, he has COVID. Excuse me, folks. People have had colds for centuries, you know. Uh, but anyway, um, we got to wrap up. I, I, two quick questions, and I know these could be long answers, but I know you have the ability to just give us a, a concise answer, uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Phil. President Trump's greatest accomplishment from your perspective? Uh, returning the voice of the people to the White House. Beautiful. Yeah, slightly important. I mean, that's 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 what's supposed to happen. Um, and last question as we wrap up our program, what do you feel is the greatest threat facing America today? Apathy and lack of knowledge about what our country is all about. What the, the fact that our kids don't know American history, that they don't know about the founders, that they don't know about the Federalist Papers, that they don't know about the Constitution, they don't know about the uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Gettysburg Address, the fights the, that uh, you know where we lost millions of of Americans um, to retain and protect the republic uh and then what uh you know they don't they don't know civics you know you see folks that are so involved in uh their phones and um social media apps and the here and now that they've lost context they've lost um what the the ideals and the principles that our country was built on and the, the blood of my brothers and my uh, uh, sisters and those warriors who have gone before me that made it possible. And that's really my, uh, my biggest fear. Well, thank you. Um, we're closing out our show. Thank you very much, Sean Morgan, the Sean Morgan Report. Sean will join me tomorrow on Making Sense of Madness with James Grunvig, Alexandra Bruce, and Kirsten W., YouTuber and author. Colonel Phil Waldron, you've been an amazing guest. Really, the information you provided 
is extremely valuable and important because people are having a tough time detecting truth from lies in the age of fake news. And you brought it home to us on some critically important subjects. And we salute you, sir, and thank you for your continued service to this country. Thank you very much.